welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Can I just say out loud that um, I think somebody in long ago did the whole daylight savings trick, uh, daylight savings thing as a mean trick for parents? Because your kids, they you got an extra hour. They wake up the same time they do every time, every day, which is not or later. It's actually an hour earlier. It's a mean trick. So you think you're to yourself, you're going to get an extra hour of sleep, but you don't. So I was driving to church this morning, and we uh, we pulled up and parked the car. And Hadley, my oldest daughter, says, "Dad, are you going to wear that jacket today?" Which is never good, right? And I said, yeah, why? She goes, and I quote, it's a little thrifty, thrift story. (laughs) And then I said, I got $20 in my pocket. I said, it only looks a little thrift story because I bought it at a thrift store. Bam! (laughs) So it's my $7 coat. That's all I have on that. So thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Awaken, everybody. My name is Micah. I happen to be the lead pastor here in this quirky little church uh, called Awaken. And uh, man, I love you guys. So fun to be together. So fun. Uh, we are in a series called Lost in Translation. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at passages in scripture that are hard to interpret or hard to kind of get your heads around or just hard to hear. Uh, and so we've been making our way through a few select uh, passages, trying to make sense of them and and really ask, how do they, or do they, uh, I would argue that they do, but how do they reflect the heart and the character of God? Uh, Last week we looked at Ephesians 1, if you were here, and this idea of God predestining or electing certain people and not others, uh, at least that's uh, often how it's read. And I offered this possibility that this predestination and election was really about Israel and Jesus as true Israel. And so insofar as we're in Christ, Paul says, we're predestined and elected and adopted. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm repeating some of this because I hope, I hope, and I've gotten some feedback from, from people, but I really hope that this series uh, has been liberating in some ways for us. Um, where maybe it's unlocked a passage of scripture that previously was sort of kept in a back corner that you hoped nobody ever saw because it's a part of the Bible that you say you believe in. Um, I hope that it's been liberating in that sense for some of us. Um, This beautiful book that is captivating and uh, this love story between God and humanity, but sometimes the language or the culture or the distance between that and us is so far that it's a chasm. Uh, So that's really the hope and the intent, and and this week is no different than that. So if you would, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we'll read from three different passages. So we're going to start in Genesis 1, Deuteronomy and Isaiah. This is what uh, Scripture says. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. From the book of Deuteronomy, or I'm sorry, uh, Genesis still, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the book of Deuteronomy. Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Later in Deuteronomy 32. You deserted the rock 
who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. And from the book of Isaiah, for a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. Pray with me if you would. God, this morning as we um, dive into uh, your scripture and this idea of really who you are, the essence of who you are, I pray that you would guide us, that your Holy Spirit might direct and uh, direct me as I speak. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be pleasing to you. And God, most of all, I pray that uh, there would be constructive, generative work that's done here this morning. That as we leave this morning, there would be something that we feel invited to step into or challenged to rethink or um, encouraged uh, by. So Holy Spirit, come, uh, have your way, freedom in this room um, to speak to us in the ways that we need to be um, met and addressed, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. So... um, I've chosen a couple of different passages uh, that we read this morning, and we're kind of going to sort of take a number of them and just hold them all in one space this morning. And today I want to talk about uh, the idea, or I want to talk about God and the use of gender when we talk about God. Um, I want to spend some time looking at the scriptures and examining how the scripture speaks about God, and I want to ask why. I want to see if we can't uh, draw out a few implications for uh, us on this particular topic this morning. Now, Surgeon General's warning here, friends, I've never heard a sermon on this topic before, so either I'm a total idiot for trying it, or maybe this is something we need to talk about. Uh, maybe this is something that we can have uh, or create some space where there can be some thought and processing about this particular topic. And I, I'm just curious, how many of you have ever read the scriptures and wondered why it's predominantly a male or masculine metaphor or language. Has anybody ever wondered that before? Am I the only one in the room? Okay, all right, a fair number of us. So um, I recognize that this is a topic. I see some people kind of like looking at, I'm seeing the whites of a lot of people's eyes, which means that you're kind of looking this way or that way to the person next to you. I totally recognize where I'm headed this morning. And I recognize... I recognize that this may not be a popular topic in certain religious circles, um, and welcome to Awaken. Uh, <laughs> we have tried and, and really worked hard to create a space as a community where we recognize that the sermon is not the end of the conversation. This is really the beginning of the conversation, my hope, that it's not thus saith the pastor or the priest or Micah or the Lord, which is all synonymous in one, but rather, <laughs> but rather can I offer this as a possibility for you to think about? You'll often hear me say, I want to suggest the possibility that. Or, can I invite you to consider? Um, I do that on purpose. It's not just because I can't find something else to say. It's because I really want to invite you to consider. Um, I'm one person with with one, like, set of experiences in life and view of the text and of God. But you're all here. We're all here. And so I want to try to create some space for us to think about that this morning. Uh, I have a good friend named Steve Weens, and Steve, many of you have met. He's preached here at Awaken before. He's actually releasing a book that I'm very, very excited about, and we're going to be hosting that book party on December 11th. If you're interested, you can get tickets, uh, steveweens.com. Steve, if you're listening to this podcast, that's free. Um, (laughs) It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a blast, and it is a phenomenal book. Recently, Steve started a podcast called This Good Word. 
And each week, it's a bit like Sesame Street, right, where there's a letter for the day. It's like there's a word for the week um, without sounding insensitive or uh, childish. It's actually quite awesome. Um, well, Sesame Street can be awesome too, but either way, Steve picks a word for the week and, uh, and, and, and offers some thoughts about scripture and his own life and stories and uh, some wisdom about that. And a couple of weeks ago, he did a podcast that he entitled Boxes. And I thought he just nailed it on this one, and I wanted to share this to set up what we're going to do today. Um, he talked about boxes and this idea that boxes, uh, in relation to our beliefs and the things that we hold as convictions, right? The idea that these beliefs and convictions live in a mental space or in a, uh, in a container, a box, if you will, in our minds. And the dirty little secret here is boxes are good. They're necessary. They help us make sense of our interior. They help us create space in our mind and in our heart for certain things. Um, they serve a good and useful purpose. But what happens when our imagination expands on a topic? Or what happens when we are afforded new information or a new view of something? Um, either um, we climb out of the box that we've previously been living in and that holds our belief and into a new one, we expand and we grow, or we sort of stay put and we stay where we are. Because let's be honest, moving is really hard work, right? I just move. My gosh, don't do that. It's very stressful, <laughs> really stressful. One of the top three stressors out of marriage, by the way, in case you didn't know that. I think we made it. I think we're going to make it. Um, but very, very stressful. Moving, it's stressful. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, it's hard work. It's messy. Uh, and, and, and in terms of this, this metaphor, um, it takes a lot of energy and effort sometimes. And quite frankly, sometimes there's a lot to lose by changing boxes or by moving boxes on beliefs in our head. I remember one of the first times I, I experienced this and I, and I was able to recognize it as such. I was a youth pastor for many years and I, I came back from a retreat, uh, you know, youth retreat. These are great, tons of fun. And I was sharing in a staff meeting about this experience that I had with this young man who um, was just kind of like coming to life. He was really waking up to some, some beautiful things in terms of God and uh, his belief or lack of belief in God and the work of Jesus and all this. And I'm sharing all of this at this staff meeting and one of the people in the room says this, and I quote, Micah, did you seal the deal? And I was like, all internally, right? I'm thinking to myself, did I seal the deal? What on earth was just said here? <laughs> like, do we really believe that evangelism is like a transaction that happens and, and a person is a part of that transaction? And I, as a person who is you know, enlightened, have the possibility to seal the deal and get them to cross the line of faith. And gang, I recognize like the heart or the intent. Oftentimes it's not malicious. It's, it's, it's not bad. But I just, in that moment, I started climbing out of a box in my own head about what I believed about evangelism and people and uh, folk, people who may or may not know God. And you know, uh, what does it mean when we say lost people? And how does that feel if you are a lost person? And maybe you don't think you're lost and you think I'm the idiot. And right, like all these things are happening in my head at the same time. And this was a moment where I started to sort of climb out of a box. Do you know what I'm saying? And I started to rethink how I thought about evangelism and sharing my faith and people who may not uh, ascribe belief in Jesus. So, I wonder if there isn't anybody here today who needs to climb out of a box in terms of how we, uh, how, what the language that we use and the way that we speak about God, this being that we call 
God. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to go there. And if you're wondering, this is actually a really sophisticated conversation about ontology. Ontology is the study of being. So we're going to talk about the essence of God. What is this thing that we call God in essence? That's the question at stake. So no big deal. And I want to do this because I think it's really important. I think it's really important for a couple of reasons. One, I think there may be an invitation to healing for some of us this morning. Our parents are probably in our lives the people who, the, who most impact our image or experience of God. The mother and father that you have. And often, um, well I should say, for some, that's an unfortunate situation. Because to think about God in terms of said parent is a bit scary. Or to think about God in terms of, to, to, to understand God as a mother is not a good idea, or to understand God as a father because of our experience with our own parents. So for some, I'm wondering if there isn't an invitation to healing this morning. I think for some, the idea of God as masculine has seemed like a a heavy weight around your neck for most of your life. There's been this overwhelming experience of inferiority that I have heard people reflect back to me. That You've always sat in a seat of vulnerability and never in a seat of power. And I wonder if there isn't a proper understanding or maybe the invitation to understand God differently may be a weight lifted off your shoulders. I wonder if for some there's a naivete that we've lived with. We've never even thought about it because we haven't had to. There's been no reason to, right? It's a a bit like the fish in the water. The fish doesn't recognize the water because it's just normal. It's just where they live. And so for many of us, we've never had to think about it. And so I hope that Maybe the lights get turned on a little bit in some way. I think for all of us, and I've said this before, that our image of God matters. So what we think about God, what we imagine God to be like, impacts our experience of God and our belief in God. So, one author says this, Lacelle Peterson. She says, The question is not whether using female images for God will draw us away from orthodoxy, but whether using exclusively male metaphors will so distort our view of God as to render our concept of God unbiblical. So here's what I want to do today. Three things. I want to offer an affirmation of something that I think the scriptures is offering as truth about God. Then I want to offer um, uh, an explanation. Why does the scriptures speak mostly in male language? Why is the predominant metaphor and image of God masculine? I want to try to offer an explanation, and then I want to offer an invitation. All right? Are you with me? Okay. God have mercy on my soul. I hope and pray that what comes out of my mouth in the next 20 minutes honors you and reflects who you are, and nothing less, God. Amen. All right, so an affirmation of what I think the Scriptures is trying to say about what God is as in essence, and I would say it this way, and I'm borrowing from my friend Becky Patton, God is gender-full. When we think about God, this being, I want to suggest that the Bible is saying that God is gender-full. Ontologically speaking, what is God as a being? Is God gendered? I remember having a conversation with somebody, and this is where I started climbing out of the box of this one for me in my own life. Uh, Do you guys remember the book The Shack? Yeah. Very controversial among some folks. Others were like, what's the problem? I loved it. It was a great book. It really challenged me to think differently about some things. I remember reading The Shack, and, uh, and I, 
I worked at a, a previous church, and I offered an illustration about reading the shack in a sermon at this church. And I, I didn't even do the most controversial one, right? I didn't talk about God as being portrayed as a black woman, right? That was pretty controversial for a lot of people. I, it was very benign, I thought. Immediately following my sermon, there was an email in my inbox from just like your classic quintessential, and I am caricaturing, I'm stereotyping, Lord forgive me, but it's totally true. Like classic elder at a conservative church, right? Suit and tie, white hair, woman. No, it was a man, okay? <clears throat> just your classic, right? I mean, this is the person who emails me, and I'm like, oh man, this, here we go, right? So I go out to Perkins with this person, and you know, um, Sonny, I'd like to talk to you about a couple of things. Your usage of the shack, just, and it was kind of, the, the spirit of it was like, listen here, you're young, you're learning, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt, but let me teach you a few things about something. And the message was, I don't think it's a good idea for you to use a, a heretical book as an illustration in a sermon, was kind of the deal. And I sort of tried to explain myself as to like why I chose this. And then there came this moment where, and maybe it was cavalier, maybe it was immature, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I said to this guy, do you think God has a penis? <laughs> like, as it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, ah! you know, like, get it back, get it, take it back. <clears throat> but you can't, you can't take moments like that back. So I'm, you know, young, immature, inexperienced pastor, and I say to this, you know, stately elder of this church, like, do you think God has a penis? And he never really answered the question, to be fair. He just kind of kept saying, well, Jesus was a man, and the Bible uses he, not she, and him, not her, and Jesus was a man, and da-da-da, and Jesus was a man. It just never answered the question. But I thought to myself, like, Really, if you stop and think about it, is God like more masculine than feminine? Is God really some bearded man in the sky with a lightning bolt in one hand and a sword in the other? Like, is that what God is? Or is it something different than that? And I think when you, when you start searching the scriptures and you, and you begin where the scriptures begin in Genesis, you, you find that God, and actually the word uh, used for man, often translated man, Adam, um, could be better translated like humankind or the human, right? So God says, let us make the human in our image, and God created them male and female in God's image, and it was good. Right? This is the text. Essentially then, both masculinity and femininity find their truest home in the being we call God. Everything that is good and true and beautiful and right about being a man finds its truest home in God, and everything that is beautiful and good and true and right about being a woman, femininity, finds its home in the same God. So somehow, in God's essence, God is reflected in both men and women. Amen. So if we start somewhere, I want to affirm something that I think the scriptures is affirming. That both masculinity and femininity find their home, their source, in God. That God is not more masculine than feminine. Alright? So that first. Now, 
And, and this whole sermon, like, we could do a lot on this and a ton of research, and there's lots that I could say that I'm not saying, but I have 30 minutes. Two, an explanation. Why does the scriptures then predominantly speak of God in masculine terms? Uh, language in the Bible, or the language of the Bible, is helpful in a lot of ways. But, and, there are serious limits to language. Uh, language is asymptotic in nature. What, is it, what do I mean by that? An asymptote. Has anybody ever heard of an asymptote? This is a math concept, okay? Imagine a graph with two axes, you know, up and down, this way, X and Y. An asymptote is a line that's always approaching but never reaching the axis, right? So an asymptote is always getting close to the x-axis, but it's never reaching it. Language, similarly, is asymptotic. It is always approaching meaning. It's helpful. It can be more precise or less precise at times. It's always approaching meaning, but it's never arriving at the actual meaning in and of itself, right? It's bound by, it, 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 it never gets there fully. Language is this way. One, one author says, language about God should help us understand and encounter God, but we should not confuse the reality of God with the limits of our language. Even though it's dominantly male and, and masculine in Scripture, still, the Scripture speaks of God in a myriad of ways, and I read a couple of them in both masculine and feminine metaphors, and it's fascinating when you start digging. Uh, Deuteronomy 32 be, begins with this God as Father who fashioned Israel. And then the Hebrew of the next verse, in verse 18, really could be read, or should be read this way. The rock who gave birth to you, who writhes in labor to bear you. Both masculine and feminine images. Isaiah 42 speaks of God as a woman in labor, gasping and panting and screaming. Haven't seen a lot of guys doing that lately. Isaiah 66, as a mother who comforts her child, so I will comfort you, Israel. Isaiah 49, can a mother forget a baby at her breast, so I will not forget you, Israel. These beautiful pictures of God in feminine terms. So not only does scripture speak of, its, speak of itself in terms of both male and female, but throughout the church history, we have church fathers and mothers who have spoken about God in this way. Uh, Clement of Alexandria in, intentionally mixed metaphors when he said, uh, Christians nursing at the breast of God the Father. There's a guy, a medieval uh, mystic, a guy named Meister Eckhart. That'd be a nice name. Hi, my name's Meister Eckhart. Next question. <laughs> he describes God's activity this way. He says, what does God do all day long? God gives birth. From all eternity, God lies on a maternity bed giving birth. This is what God does gives birth to new things. John Wesley, 1700s. From the womb of the earth, by divine command, like a newborn infant, God wraps it in, clo in, in clouds as swaddling bands. So we find, even in church history, that this happens. An explanation. One, scripture is a product of its context and culture. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That the Bible is a product of its context and its culture. So if you rewind 2,000 plus years in the Middle East, it should be no surprise to any of us that the predominant language and metaphors that are used are masculine. That doesn't necessarily reflect the being of God or the truth about the being of God, but rather, I would submit, the product of the culture and context from which the Bible arises out of. Secondly, as far as an explanation... Scripture, especially the Old Testament scripture, the Hebrew scriptures, is a polemic 
against neighboring beliefs and cultures and ideologies about God. A polemic is an argument against something else. So the Hebrew Scriptures stands over and against other creation stories of the ancient Near East. It stands over and against other flood stories of the ancient Near East. It stands over and against other religious ideologies about God. So when the scripture speaks about it, one author, one uh, Hebrew scholar says this. The reason why the ancient Hebrews never called God mother was they were reacting against the allurement of the mother goddess cult because they somehow sensed the difference between true divinity and deified nature. What's this guy saying? Essentially, ancient mother goddess worship was not about empowering or glorifying women, but rather about the worship as nature, the worship of nature as divine. So everything that comes with nature, fertility, sexuality, life, health, and death, were associated with mother goddess worship, right? You still following? And then conflated with religious ceremonies. And so when you found neighboring ancient Near Eastern religions and they were worshiping and mother goddess things were happening, it was often connected to bizarre sexual practices and religious practices all married into one. So when the Hebrew scriptures come on the scene, if it's a polemic against the things that it's, that it's surrounding its, uh, in terms of its, neighbor, its neighbors, then it makes perfect sense that it wouldn't call God or use those images in terms of God. Now, we could say a lot more on why, but I'll just offer that this morning before I move to an invitation. The invitation is this. And before I offer it, I'll just stop for a second and say, I totally get that this may be like off the reservation for some of you. I get it. And I want to ask you to extend the benefit of the doubt. And I want to ask you to entertain the possibility that maybe, just maybe, if our image of God matters, then there may be a fuller image of God that is waiting for you. Here's my invitation as we close. Let God be what you need. In this book, The Shack, God, for this person, in the beginning of the book, appears to him as a black woman because his image of his father is so tainted and so destroyed and so hurtful that for God to appear as anything close to that would be detrimental. And so, God appears to this person the way that that person needs God to appear. By the end of the book, this person has gone through this journey of healing as it relates to his own father, and lo and behold, this beautiful moment at the end of the book, when God appears to this person as a man, as a father. I want to encourage you this morning to, God, if God is God, and, and God is Emmanuel, right? This thing that we're about to celebrate in Advent and Christmas. God with us. The God who comes to us. The God who appears to us in human form as Jesus. This is what God does. He, God comes to us. God meets us. And if this is true, then wherever you're at this morning, if you, if you don't need any of these thoughts on this matter today, fine. Let God come to you as you need God to come to you. 
But maybe there are some here this morning for whom permission or uh, some provocative thoughts on how to think about this differently are necessary. And to you I would say, let God come to you how you need God to come to you. I've shared a bit of this story, but I'll just close with it and maybe it will help you understand why this means so much to me. For a really, really long time, the idea of God as a father, uh, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't trust it. Uh, It did not make me feel good. It was not helpful. And before I even had language for it, the idea of God as as a mom who would just pick me up in her lap and tell me it was going to be okay, felt so much better than a God as a father for me. And I don't think I'm the only one. And it's not, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. Maybe for you, the idea of God as a mother is just totally crazy because your mom left and she wasn't there or she was a horrible person to you. For me, Part of my trip when I went to Israel a couple years ago was a lot of healing that happened in my own heart and in my own mind about God as a father. Where I finally came to a place where I said, you know what? God, I'm going to trust that you are as good as you say you are in scripture and that you want to father me as a son in a way that maybe my dad can't and didn't. And that's been a process for me. And having the possibility of God to love me like a father and love me like a mother has just opened up my capacity and my understanding of who God is and what God does and wants to do in my own life and in my own heart. So I say all this this morning because I have experienced an incredible amount of healing and transformation in my own life, in my relationship with God, because of this topic. And so I would just encourage you this morning, maybe, maybe you don't need to move at all. That's fine. Maybe you do. Maybe you've been waiting for some way to think about it differently. And I would just offer this this morning for you to consider. I'm going to invite us to a time of silence. And I want it to be a directed time. So I'll ask the band to come and John will lead us in a couple of songs as we close. But as he does, I want to invite you to a time of silence. And I want to invite you to, um, if you would, maybe just close your eyes and imagine, if you will, and I'll just walk you up to a certain point here and then leave you in silence to see what God does. I would like, if you would, imagine a space that you feel comfortable, safe. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's a, a, a meadow somewhere. Maybe it's up on a mountain. Maybe it's a lake. A place that you feel safe. And I want you to imagine God coming towards you. Coming to meet with you. And whatever voice, whatever image of God, whether it's God as a father or God as a mother, whatever you need today, 
to imagine that God comes and speaks in whatever voice you need to hear God speak in. And just receive whatever it is that God has for you today. Hi, my name is Deb. I'm one of the prayer team members. If any of you have any prayers that you would like to have someone pray with you, prayers of praise, prayers of blessing, prayers of need, any one of the prayer team members would love to pray with you. We will be in the prayer chapel right to the side after worship. Please receive this benediction from Genesis. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he said it was very good. May you be filled with grace and peace. See you all next week. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.